This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with their Extension Crop Report. We use a lot of herbicides in agriculture, not as much as people think, but still herbicides is a staple of modern farming. A study done by K-State by our own weed ecologist show that using the best management practices but no weed control methods led to a 50% reduction in corn and soybean yields. However, and often rightly so, herbicide usage also comes with lots of rules and training. This is the time of year where farmers and applicators start to think about getting all their licenses in order. In general, there are two types of herbicide licensing, private and commercial. Private applicator licenses are much easier to obtain. Just come into your local extension office and we'll help you set you up with a book to study and you can take the test right here in the office. Private applicators need to renew their licenses every five years. Renewals, however, are not taken here at the extension office. For that, the KDA should send you a letter in the mail before your license expires and a website to go to or a form to renew your license. To be a private applicator, you need to be an agricultural producer on your own or rented property and be applying without financial compensation. Commercial applicators, however, are applying as part of a business for payment. That business also needs to have a pesticide business license, which is different from the applicator license. Sometimes other agencies like the County Noxious Weed Department will also have the commercial applicator license. To get a commercial license requires a training at a specific testing site. The closest locally are in Topeka, Oliva, or Wichita. A commercial license requires everyone to take a general test and then one or more of the specific subcategory tests, like the 1A agriculture test or the 6A right of way test. Commercial licensing are renewed every three years either by retesting at an exam site or by earning enough recertification training credits at approved programs, for instance, the yearly corn and soybean schools. There are, however, a couple of different restricted-use herbicides that require a special training and licensing to use, no matter if you are a private or a commercial applicator. These herbicides include Paraquat and the soybean formulations of Dicamba. In both herbicides, licensing is required by the applicator it can't be just under the supervision of someone with the license. Paraquat licenses must be attained by anyone even handling the product, including those that are mixing and loading. The Paraquat license is renewed every three years, and training can be attained from the website usparaquattraining.com. Dicamba training has to be obtained each and every year. This is done through one of the company websites that makes the herbicide, BASF, Bayer, or Sagenta, Remember, this is just for the soybean dicambas, Eugenia, Extendamax, or Tavium. For all you herbicides applicators out there, take a look at your licensing and see if you need to renew it or take some additional trainings. The trainings and renewals are fairly easy for private applicators, but are a little more involved on the commercial side. If you have any questions about herbicide training, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. If you have any questions about your specific license, you probably need to call the KDA Pesticide Department, 785-564-6688. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District. Hi, this is Wendy Powell the Wildcat Extension District, your Livestock Production Agent. January and February historically bring some of the coldest and most extreme conditions of the year. Weather can be one of the greatest challenges of managing animals during the winter. Most livestock producers appreciate that cold weather increases nutrient requirements. However, the more common questions are, 
When or under what condition should we respond to a cold weather event? Or how should we respond? According to Justin Wagner, K-State Beef Systems Specialist, animals are most comfortable within the thermoneutral zone when temperatures are neither too warm nor too cold. During the winter months, cold stress can be experienced anytime the effective ambient temperature, which takes into account factors like wind chill and humidity, drops below the lower critical temperature. The lower critical temperature is influenced by environmental and animal factors such as hair coat and body condition. In wet conditions, animals can begin experiencing cold stress at 59 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be a relatively mild winter day. However, if there's been enough time to develop a sufficient winter coat, the estimated lower critical temperature in dry conditions is 18 degrees Fahrenheit. Cold stress increases maintenance energy requirements, but does not impact protein, mineral, or vitamin requirements. The general rule of thumb for animals in good body condition is to increase the energy density of the ration by 1% for each degree Fahrenheit below the lower critical temperature. The classic response to cold stress in confinement situations is to increase voluntary intake. However, it's been documented that grazing beef cows may spend less time grazing as temperatures drop below freezing, which will reduce forage intake and make the challenge of meeting the cow's nutrient demands even greater. The traditional response to a cold weather event on many operations is to feed more of the current supplement being used or offer a larger amount of low quality hay. Although the additional supplement and hay may provide some additional energy, it may not be sufficient to meet the energy demands of a third trimester animal experiencing cold stress. Additionally, this strategy may lead to oversupplying protein. The extra hay offered simply replaces grazed forage. In this situation, energy is still limiting. Livestock managers should consider offering a relatively higher quality hay than the current forage being grazed or a small amount of grain mixed with the normal amount of protein supplement being used. Of course, circumstances, supplements, and forage will vary. Keep in mind that in a cold weather event, cold stress increases energy requirements and not protein. For more information on cold stress and nutrition, give me a call at the Wildcat Extension District, 620-784-5337. Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's David Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report. This is the David Scrantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents for the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties, with your K-State Research and Extension report. During cold weather, it is a priority for producers to keep their animals safe and warm. In addition to providing animals with food, water, and a shelter where they are able to get out of the wind and or rain to stay warm and dry. However, for young animals and animals that have recently given or are about to give birth, extra considerations should be taken to make sure they stay warm. To provide an extra source of warmth, straw and or shavings can be provided and heat lamps can be used. 
While heat lamps and straw or shavings can keep animals warm, the combination also increases the risk for barn fires. The chance of barn fires caused by heat lamps can be reduced if precautions are taken. There are many factors that affect the quality of a heat lamp, and if the heat lamp is poorly made, it can lead to an increased chance of it causing a fire. Short, thin cords, poor connections to the fixture, unreliable attachment points for hanging, and just general cheap construction are factors that reduce the quality of the heat lamp. The first tip to help prevent a fire caused by a heat lamp from starting is to use quality made heat lamps. The heat lamps that are made out of heavy duty plastic and are fully enclosed will help prevent the chance of a fire starting if the heat lamp were to fall and break. How the heat lamp is installed is also important. While it is convenient to hang heat lamps up with baling twine, it is safer to hang them up in a more permanent fashion using chains and if possible, hang them where livestock cannot reach them. In addition to using a quality made heat lamp and installing the heat lamp securely, Use hard glass bulbs. Stay away from using bulbs that are made out of thin glass as the hard glass bulbs are less likely to shatter and break if the heat lamp were to fall. In addition to the heat lamp, bulbs, and installation of the heat lamp, there are other precautions that can be taken as well, including making sure to use a quality breaker box that is designed to trip the breaker if the heat lamp were to spark. You can also install a smoke detector in the barn to alert you of smoke so the fire can hopefully be caught before it gets out of control. And it is also important to keep a fire extinguisher in the barn so if a fire does start, you can hopefully stop it from spreading. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been a Dave and Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report. With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. Winter is a great time to start designing beds and landscapes, but the whole process can at times feel overwhelming. There are so many plants to choose from and so many ways to arrange them that it's hard to know where to start. This is where a landscape design helps. Landscape design is simply selecting and arranging plants in such a way that it will achieve your aesthetic goals for your property. There are 10 basic principles for landscape design, but you certainly don't need to use all 10. In fact, most designers, especially those putting together their first design, tend to focus on one or two primary ones, so choose the ones that you will enjoy using and spending time in the most. Number one, unity, organizing landscape elements into groups with an orderly emphasis. Number two, lines, using the arrangement of plants to guide the eye down a path. Number three, form, or the 3D structure of plants. Number four, texture, in woody plants the relationship between foliage size and twig size, in herbaceous plants the shape and feel of the flowers and foliage. Number five, color, the element most designers default to and easily the most obvious, different colors will create different moods. Number six, scale, 
comparative size between elements of the landscape and absolute structures such as houses. Number seven, balance. Like weight can also be thought of as symmetry. Symmetrical balance implies stability, while asymmetrical balance implies movement. Number eight, simplicity and variety, describing the degree of repetition or diversity in element use. Number nine, emphasis, the strength of focus you place on certain specimen plants. And number 10, sequence, intentional ordering of plants based on one of the previous nine elements. One thing you will want to consider when selecting plants for your garden is how many seasons of visual interest you want. Do you want plants that still attract the eye in the winter? then you will need to select evergreen plants or plants with unique stems like the red twig dogwood or the paper bark maple. Not every garden is going to have winter visual interest, and it is up to you as the designer to decide if that is something you want to seek out. Sometimes these plants can be expensive, so keep your budget in mind. Foliage plants, or plants chosen for their leaves and stems, are some of the most underrated garden plants you can find. When most people are designing a landscape for the first time, the showiest plants are chosen, usually for their flowers and color. However, leaves and stems provide excellent texture to the garden, which is the primary design element I emphasize in my landscape. If your garden has large areas of shade or bare spots that need filling out, foliage plants are often necessary to fill the space. Plants like coral bells, hostas, and ferns will make for great choices to fill out these bare spots and shadier beds. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Horde Report. Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.